You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. P.S. P.B.S. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Stage Door Podcast. Before we get into today's episode talking to a performer, Kaya Byrne, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land on which we work, live, and record, and recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. We pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. Eliza, take it away with the bulletin. In latest news, Dolly Parton's hit musical 9 to 5 starring Caroline O'Connor and Eddie Perfect has confirmed its Brisbane season. It will be playing at QPAC from the 22nd of May 2022. Make sure to head to 9to5themusical.com.au for more information. This January, a new musical will be hitting the Australian shore, Girl from the North Country. This successful musical will be playing at Theatre Royal in Sydney and stars the likes of Lisa McCoon and Callum Francis. The musical is set at a guest house in the 1930s where a group of wanderers cross paths. Standing at a turning point in their lives, they realise nothing is what it seems. But as they search for a future and hide from the past, they find themselves facing unspoken truths about the present. With the music of Bob Dylan and Connor McFarland, Ferson's captivating book, This Is Not One To Miss. To book tickets, head to sydneyfestival.org.au. The new play, And She Would Stand This, an adaptation of Euripides' The Trojan Woman and inspired by Paris' is Burning, will hit Melbourne from the 3rd to the 12th of February 2022. Artistic director Brandon Pape expanded on this stating, The show is a celebration of the balls and culture that inspired Pose, Paris' is Burning, and RuPaul's Drag Race, featuring voguing sequences, larger-than-life characters, and heart-thumping musical interludes. And since it's based on the Trojan Woman, we will take audiences on an emotional roller coaster that explores themes of survival, betrayal, and finding your chosen family. Head to antipodstheatre.com for more information. Back to you, Tori. Today, we welcome Kaya to the podcast. He graduated from the Victorian College of the Arts. His theatre credits include Chess with Storyboard Entertainment, West Side Story with the Opera Queensland, and Lazarus and Ragtime with a production company, just to name a few. On screen, Kaya appeared in the You Proof banking campaign for NAB, the short film The Tide, and the web series Thereafter. He is a passionate instrumentalist and composer and loves writing music for theatre as well as his own solo projects. 
At the moment, you can catch Kaya as one of the incredible standbys for the current touring production of Come From Away. The Tony and Olivier award-winning musical tells the remarkable true story of thousands of stranded passengers and the small town of Newfoundland that welcomed them all. Cultures clashed and nerves ran high, but uneasiness turned into trust, music soared into the night, and gratitude grew into enduring friendships. Please welcome to the mic, Kaya! Ooh, thanks for having me! Thank you so much for being here. How how have you been? Obviously, we're just coming out of lockdown. Like you've just reopened in Sydney. How how are you? I'm good. I'm in fact now I'm really good. There was a lot of surviving throughout lockdown. I feel like we're back to thriving, or at least we're we're starting to thrive. We're getting our thrive on. So it feels nice. I love that. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations or anything that like kept you going during lockdown? I mean, I feel like I did a lot of the, uh, I kind of got around a lot of the viral things. I did my Squid Game watch oh, in, yeah, I gosh, think, yes. all of one day, uh, which was fantastic. <laughs> I, uh, I also got hooked, thanks to a fellow cast member, Jazz. She got me onto Drive to Survive, the Netflix um, Formula One series. And Ooh. she was like trying to pitch it to me. And she's going, look, everyone in my year at Unique, she was in um, BCA with me. She's like, we all like we're all theater nerds just like you and now we're all obsessed with formula one because of this show and i'm like i am the furthest thing from a car person (laughs) she was like just watch the thing oh my god i got hooked like i smashed the first season in one day i think i finished the whole thing within a week there's three seasons up at the moment now i'm like watching every formula one i'm like all up on it oh so yeah that was my new obsession throughout lockdown I love that. It's kind of crazy how you can, um, even though it's so far from what we do or like so far from what you're interested in, mm. you get really obsessed with something that is just so weird for you. <laughs> like... Yeah. Like I think if any, uh, cause I often live in Melbourne and I typically have lived South side near the formula one. And so every like Feb or March, I think I am filled with rage as I just hear cars like, <laughs> at all hours of the day and like the earliest hours just going and I'm like oh what is the appeal and now I get it now I'm like I want to go so bad I want to see my little vroom vroom cars that's what I need I love that I love it I love it and obviously you've had an incredible career so far in musical theatre but what originally brought you into the world of theatre well I feel like I can put it down solely to my um year 11 and 12 music teacher joe lloyd he was like he was just the best because um each semester in music uh he would just pick a new thing be like hey let's do this or this one and i was doing a double major which is something in canberra and um so it meant that i was doing two different music classes so i was doing all the different topics which meant that my whole time there i was like i'm gonna be a composer i'm gonna write music for for films i'm gonna write it for this I'm going to just be a rock star or something. And then (laughs) one semester he was like, hey, we're going to do musical theatre next term. And we're like, all right, cool. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it's fun. And then, uh, and like I'd seen a musical before in Canberra, which was Tom Sawyer the Musical. uh, And that was the only thing I'd ever seen. And then, um, yeah, we did a a semester on it. And I was like, oh, this is the real deal. This stuff is cool. Like I'd done a lot of acting growing up and then I think I'd kind of put that by the wayside for music. And then I learned, oh no, you could potentially combine the two things. 
do it all, hopefully learn to dance and then, um, you know, <laughs> get going. So from there we did the, um, they'd always do a, a school musical each year. Um, and this was a college, so it was only year 11 and 12, um, which is, again, a camera thing, weird camera yeah. thing, but yeah. I loved it. Um, we love Canberra. Yeah, good old Canberra <laughs> public schooling. I love it. But, um, yeah, so I didn't, like, for the first year they did the school musical, we did Hair, which is a weird pick for a school to do. Yeah. There was a, there was a few cuts, but not as many cuts as you would expect in really? Hair. But, you know. I'm guessing the nudity scene wasn't there. Yeah, we, we found an artistic way to get around that. Um, some gauzy curtains and someone in a morph suit. But, um, yes. Oh, oh. Yeah, but I got cast in that and didn't want to be because uh, it didn't feel right and I still didn't really understand it. So I just played guitar in the band and had the best time ever playing all this like 70s rock music. Uh, but then the next year we did Chicago and I was like, hey, this kind of looks fun. I, again, I've never heard of this show. Uh, went in, was lucky enough to get the role of Billy. Um, so I got to play my uh, lawyer dreams. And yes. um, yeah, I was hooked from that point. I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna try learn about what the schools are in different states. I'm going to try my best to go for them. And then um, it all kind of flowed on from there. So, yeah, but thanks to Joe. Joe was the, he was the instigator. He was the one. <laughs> Thank Gotta you, love Joe. Joe. Gotta love Joe. Gotta love Joe. And so obviously we have begun coming out of lockdown in Sydney. Melbourne, it's on his way as well. Mm. Um, but Come From Away has just started shows again in Sydney. How does it feel to be back? It's It's surreal, like, because... I think as well for a lot of us, a lot of us are Melbourne based typically. So we also spent all of last year in lockdown. So then going through another lockdown here was, uh, it was familiar in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, it was just the same old thing, but it, it kind of added to that like endless feeling of like, will we ever actually get back to the theater? Um, so that the moment when we all finally were able to kind of step foot on stage again, was really special, very emotional for everyone. And then um, opening night especially was just like electric. And um, I think as a standby, it can be a little bizarre doing an opening night because it's a show that you've collectively put together on as a group, but only a handful of people are able to perform each night. And so it can be a little weird, but I think that opening night, it was just such a collective feeling of celebration of joy being back every single one of our standbys was just utterly thrilled and we all watched from the house and were just like cheering the loudest we could and it was yeah it was a full-on party so it's yeah. been great being back it's also a big shock to the system because you kind of get really good at doing nothing in lockdown and then going <laughs> yeah. back into full-time rehearsals and then a full show schedule is it was a lot, but um, it feels it feels great, and I'm glad to see that things in Sydney have been opening up, and Melbourne's not too far off now, which is great. Because yeah. especially Melbourne, I always feel for everyone there, having gone through it as well. It's so tough, but yeah, the coming out's going to be firing. It's always the yeah. way. It kind of comes roaring back as soon as we get a chance. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be nice to see everything opening up again because it always does you know feels like we were kicked when we were already down mm. after 
just coming back and like feeling somewhat normal and obviously just throwing it out there so people are aware that Come From Away will still be in Sydney until the 9th of January so you've still got plenty of time please get your tickets to see this show because it truly is um honestly a life-changing show as someone who has seen it far too many times <laughs> purely by accident <laughs> but I've seen it a lot um, and it's it will then good. be going to Canberra from February 3rd to the 20th going back to your going back to your roots in so, Canberra I could not be more excited to take the show to Canberra I'm like yes you guys have got to see this you're going yes. to love it especially my non-music theater friends because yeah. like oh, you know definitely. I'm just like this is if if you've never seen a musical and especially if you don't particularly enjoy musicals or your idea of a musical this show is mm-hmm. going to change that or it's it's going to be something different for you because yeah it's more just kind of like a play with music or like a yeah. film I don't know it's very unique so it's it's very much so one of those special shows that I feel like regardless if you're into theater or not you will love it and you mm. will take something away from it because it is such an impactful story that like impacted people around the world so you'll always be engaged in it. And the fact that it's also, it's 90 minutes and it doesn't even feel like 90 minutes. It kind of is all of a sudden the show has ended and you're mm. like, you've been on this amazing <laughs> yes. journey that at no point during the show is it boring or does it become dull or anything because it has such an amazing flow, I think, between those joyous moments and those really heartbreaking moments. So it's, you know, you have to see it. You have to see it. I've seen it like what, Eliza? Like yes, a lot of times. Five times in Sydney? Oh my God. That's a great effort. I love that. It's definitely one of those shows that you don't have to be a complete theatre like nerd or buff to to really get or understand. or And it's it's really accessible to everyone, which is what is so special about it and why it's doing so well and going to Canberra, which is exciting. <laughs> now, obviously on the topic of lockdown, I think it's, um, it's really interesting to, to see how different people in the industry have dealt with having to be in a show and then being locked down and then having to go back. Did you do anything to keep yourself motivated to kind of keep show fit or was it just like a take a break for a hot moment and then hop back into it? I think uh, I've learned that my lockdown kind of rhythm is very much like goes in waves. Um, Mm. It was the same thing last year and, and, and then again this year in this lockdown, like I will often start a lockdown hot and heavy. I'm like working out all the time. (laughs) I'm keeping up, any aspect of my training just to kind of, yeah, stay show fit because it always feels like we're going to be back next week or we need to be ready or I don't want to, I don't want to squander this time. And then uh, I've noticed it happened last year throughout all the successive lockdowns we had. And this year that peters off at a stage for me. And I then go into like an acceptance state of being like, you know what, this is one of the few times I have to actually rest and kind of recuperate um, and kind of just be here for myself, which also I think is is so fine. Um, hopefully we don't have to go through lockdowns again, but I do reckon that if we if people ever do, it is very important to to actually just give yourself a break and to go, you know what, mm. I don't need to do anything. This is a unique situation and it and it is very hard to motivate. 
I'll go through that stage. Then I'll have like bouts of inspiration where I'll be like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to satisfy myself with a project and I'm going to do all of this. And that might sustain me for a little. I then also went through my, uh, my impulse buying phase. I bought a unicycle. (laughs) That was probably the lowest point that I had. Um, And, you know, it was always like, I'm going to start a new hobby. The hobby lasts a week. Then I'm back to watching TV and, you know, not wearing pants any day. Um, Yeah. But then I think what I find, uh, I think for myself personally as an artist or the way I work, if I have something to look forward to or a goal to reach, I find it a lot easier to motivate. It's, Mm. and I think that's what makes it hard in a lockdown when, it seems like it, we don't know when the end will be. It's very hard for someone like me then to um, to plan for the end because mm. there's that feeling of I could learn all my roles now and I could spend all of that mental energy and physical energy to do that, but it could be months before we're back into the theatre. Um, and so I think, you know, part of the rest of my body doesn't get the communication because it's like, well maybe it'd be better just to rest. And so, yeah, it's tough. What I did find was really uh, useful for me, and I know it's not an avenue for everyone, but I, um, again, it was my bout of inspiration. I went, you know what? I want to find a positive outlet I can use myself. Uh, I was writing a lot of music, and so I decided to write a song about being in lockdown but try and find a positive angle or at least an inspirational angle as an artist for it. And then that kind of snowballed for me into a fully fledged project where I made, like, wrote the song. Then I was like, well, how do I show this to people? So then I had to figure out how to record the song well. So spent many days recording at home, um, just banging away on my guitar or yelling into a microphone. And my poor roommate at the time had to put up with all of that. And then once it was done, I'm like, well, now I need to put it out on the internet. But I can't, I don't just want to put the song out. I need a video. How do I make a video? And so then it was me contacting all my friends being like, do you want to be in this video? It's about lockdown and about kind of being an artist. And so it just kind of ballooned into this whole project where I had something to focus on for weeks. Um, And it was great. It felt really nice to kind of just stick my head into one thing for ages that wasn't related to the show, just taking a break from all of it but still kind of related to being an artist and being creative. And yeah, I was really happy with the uh, end product. Then once it was done, I was like, well, now what? But (laughs) it was a good like month of work that kind of kept me going. Yeah. Mm. I love that. (laughs) That's, I think, and it's, you know, it does, there is no, I think, right or wrong way to make it through a lockdown. And everyone I think goes through those phases because like, you know, there are days where you're like, yes, I'm going to get up. I'm going to, I'm going to go out. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to do all this. And the next day you're just like, I'm not leaving this bed. This is my home now. I'm, this is where I belong. Um, I think that's normal Mm. and to normalize it. Like you got to do whatever you do to like survive lockdown because it is something that obviously now this is the second time we've experienced it, but it's still nothing that we could have ever prepared for. Mm. I mean, I do like the checklist thing as well sometimes. I felt like that was useful, like making a little checklist. Yeah. Pick up things and sometimes those tasks, like sometimes a day would just be take out rubbish and I would tick it off and I'm like, great, 
that's today, I'm done. Yes. And then other days I'm feeling more motivated and there's like five or six things and I'm running around doing it all. But, you know, that kind of was a good way to at least kind of make little manageable goals. And ticking things off feels great. I love it. It does. Yeah. Get that little boost of energy. Oh, you're like, little yes. dopamine hit. Look yes. at me go. I just took the rubbish out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's functional. I got out of bed today. That's a win. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Tick it off. <laughs> And so, obviously, Come From Away tells the true story of the stranded passengers landing in Newfoundland. What has been the response and the impact that this show, this phenomenal show, has had on Australian audiences? I think um, from the moment it came in 2019, I remember seeing it in Melbourne, sort of a couple times because I was so impacted by it. And I remember back then it had it had such a strong impact because even though we are on the other side of the world, Everyone uh, that was old enough has a 9-11 story or at least has some form of memory around the event or Mm. at least the fallout after the event, especially um, considering it's kind of impacted the whole world ever since. Um, So I found seeing it then, I was so deeply affected and people I talked to, it kind of, it was a chance to kind of um, reconcile those feelings and collectively move through that trauma as a group. And I think theatre is the place for that typically like you're in a big community you're all in the same room laughing together crying together it's the perfect place to kind of move through things like that and then I think and I remember uh the first time I saw it was by chance uh on 9-11 in America so it was the 12th here um and I didn't realize and so it was a really special show and the cast came out did a Q&A afterwards and I remember some people were like their questions, they were talking quite personally about their own 9-11 experience. Some audience members saying that they might have lost someone um, during the attacks or it had impacted them in some way. And they talked to the fact that seeing this show gave them a chance to kind of, I, I don't, like, yeah, kind of move through that, uh, that feeling, whatever, in whatever way that was. Mm. I think now the impact is even greater because even though the experience of 9-11 affected all of us, um, it still is something that for many is so far away. Um, but I think after these successive lockdowns, after us all going through kind of a collective experience together where people might have felt isolated in the same way that the characters in the show do, um, I think it just really hits differently. And even for us performing the show, it hits completely differently because um, all those themes of, community, people coming together in a moment of crisis to help others, being selfless or, you know, going out of your way just to do some act of kindness for someone. I think now that has, it has taken on new meaning for Australian audiences, audiences everywhere. And I think that what I've been hearing from people and my own experience re-watching the show, it has been that now it feels like a story that sits here at home. And it feels like, even though it is about this event, on the other side of the world that happened 20 years ago now, it is. it feels so current in the need for the message. Um, yeah. And so that's been a wonderful thing to experience, to see people like coming out of the theatre just feeling like they've been able to kind of let go of something perhaps or, mm. or they feel changed in some way. But, yeah. So I think the impact is definitely, it's definitely even greater now because of this yeah. um, experience we've all had now. Yeah, it's 
I find it kind of crazy because obviously we've spoken to Emma Powell on the podcast before as well. And it was just after the last lot of lockdowns when you were in Melbourne. Oh, wow. Obviously, it still has the meaning that it's always had, but it does take on this new meaning, being able to come back and support each other during an event that we would have never thought would have happened to us and we have no experience with. And it's so lovely, I think, to see that that has connected with all of the cast members and all of the audience members as well. I know it's such an emotional experience. Any show I've seen post any lockdown, it is so emotional to go, okay, we're still here. Mm. This is still happening and Mm. we're back and it will be okay. Due to your hard work and everyone looking after each other that we're able to bring theatre back. Everyone get vaccinated. (laughs) It's important. It's very important. Um, Well, I guess on that note, we're going to switch it up a little bit and do a bit of a rapid fire question round where we ask some questions and you (laughs) fire them off. (laughs) So, okay, let's do this. Um, The first question I have for you is... What do you do for fun when you aren't working? Uh, I play a lot of guitar in my room, uh, write a lot of music, or I play a lot of video games. Let's be real. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> First musical you were obsessed with? Uh, it was Love Never Dies, uh, which is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, because it was the, besides Tom Sawyer, the musical, it was the first thing I saw when uh, when Joe did our uh, music theatre class he showed us the video because it was film production in melbourne i was obsessed i was a bit obsessed with that production that was really good i saw phantom second and i didn't like it as much i know that's very controversial (laughs) i mean the film was just like the film other film version is just so spectacular and it's visually just like delicious i feel like it all depends "Mm." like if i I would probably say if i had seen love never dies first i would have preferred it but like you're getting two different sides of the story because they are vastly different very, very different. Okay, what is the first thing you think of when you step on stage? Uh, in this show specifically, it is uh, which number am I on for this character? Oh, God, I hope I'm not going to go to the other character's position because that's a confusing <laughs> thing. Typically, it is just the first thing I think of is let's go, and I'm just excited no matter what. I'm always like, what's my first line? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Favourite Sondheim musical that isn't West Side Story? My favourite, it has changed over the years. I went from Sweeney Todd for a long time. Then it became Company for a Hot Spell. Now I think I'm, I think I got to settle on Sunday in the Park. (gasps) I think that's got to be my fave. It gets me every time. I'm a mess in both acts. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's such a good show. Such a beautiful show. But I mean, okay. I'm a sucker for all of them. And I'm going to see Merrily on Monday. So if you ask me next week, my answer might change. So yeah. <laughs> We'll have to follow it up. <laughs> what is a dream project to do next for you? Oh, um, well, really, I mean, on the topic of Sondheim musicals, any Sondheim musical would probably be a dream project. Oh, yeah. Uh, other than that, I would, I have... There is a play called Lungs by uh, Duncan McMillan, and it's probably my favourite play. And it's a two-hander, and I've never read something that I kind of connected to more, like a character I could see myself in it more. 
and so I would love to even just grab a friend and just do it. Even if it's not even like a big production or anything, I would just love to do that play. So maybe that one. That's great. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. All right. Something new that you learnt this week. Something new that I learnt this week. I mean, gosh, time still has no meaning to me. So when you say this week, I'm like, what do you mean? Like (laughs) June? Uh, (laughs) I can say June. Yeah. This month. This month. What have you, something new you've learnt this month? Something new that I have learnt this month is... (laughs) Uh, well, I have, I mean, in, in the realm of the show, I have learned that it is very easy to say someone else's lines, uh, when you are playing your second character that you've learnt, uh, during our tech put in, I, on many occasions went to say someone else's line and had an, a lovely cast member next to me just go, no, no, not yet. And I was like, ah, yes, thank you. You gotta help each other out. You really do. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> It's easier in the songs. You can just sing every line if you have to, and you're like, yeah, no one will notice. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) What is the first role you ever auditioned for? Uh, It would have to be... Oh, well, I guess it was probably uh, during hair. It was just me auditioning for hair in general uh, during school. But then I guess when it came to working professionally, post-uni, the first show I ever auditioned for was Jersey Boys. And I was like, I want to be Tommy DeVito so bad. And and it was a nerve-wracking experience, but it was also kind of so exciting being in like the tail end of third year and being like, no one here has ever seen my work before. That's kind of freeing in a way. Like I just get to go and show them what I can do. And I didn't get the gig and that was heartbreaking, but uh, (laughs) it was a great experience. It was a cool uh, first professional audition. And a lovely team to audition for, so it was good. I love it. That's amazing. Those are great answers. Thank you for playing. Um... Tommy DeVito one day. Yeah, yeah. Tommy DeVito. Come on, come yeah. on. <laughs> well, that's all the rapid fire questions we Oof. have for you today. So <laughs> off the clock now. <laughs> but I guess getting back into a little bit about your role in Come From Away, can you tell us a little bit about how a standby role works and what the rehearsal process looks like for that? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting kind of role to be in because... Um, as both of you know, Come From Away is a show with 12 actors who play a collection of different characters, and it's very much an ensemble show. So in, in other shows where you might have um, you might have understudies that are a part of the ensemble and then they might cover a leading role or you might have swings that are offstage but they'll cover those ensemble tracks, in Come From Away we have standbys who instead cover a selection of roles in the show. So each of us covers between four and five characters. Um, so there are six male characters, six female characters in the show. We cover up to five of them. We do learn them one by one, which I learned once we started rehearsal. I went in thinking, like, I have to learn five characters. I was like, I had five different versions of the script I was looking at being like, yep, yep, I'm going to get it all down by day one. And then I went in there like, oh, no, no, we're going to go one at a time. It'll be nice and easy. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> that's very stressful gosh <laughs> but it has been 
It has been a wonderful rehearsal process and I think a very unique one because of lockdown. Uh, Mm. I mean, in a way, it felt like a four-month rehearsal process by the time we uh, opened, which is uh, much more time than I've ever gotten on any other gig. But um, even kind of the uh, allocated rehearsal process itself was was great. And I think it felt generous, but I think for a show like this, it is essential because this is Mm. the hardest uh, show I've ever learnt. it's just the most intricate and complex kind of thing. Um, So basically the way that um, the show uh, treats standbys, I think is, is wonderful because it, uh, the show is such an acting heavy, it's basically a play Mm. and each character has their own arc uh, and even their sub characters have their own arcs. And so for each character to, to perform uh, at their best, you really want them to just bring themselves to the role each night rather than um, having feeling like they have to do someone else's show, which might happen on, on certain shows when it's a bit more, um, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but a bit more like prescriptive in certain ways. Mm-hmm. It, as the understudy, you might have to, you know, do this choice because that's what the Broadway company did and that's what we do each mm-hmm. night. Uh, on this show, it was in the first meeting we had with um, our resident director and the American creatives um, that were calling in over Zoom, um, they were all very much like, as standbys, you are the character. So the way this company works is we have, well, we have now 19 actors within the company. Each night we watch 12 of them on stage. But those 12 could be, you know, it could be anyone. Uh, It's just going to typically be the playing cast members. But as a standby, we were told immediately, like, you should never feel like you have to do someone else's work. You will all bring your own version of this character to the floor. It's completely encouraged, which as an actor is such a gift because I think I love this show so much that I want to play every role. And so then being given the chance to learn and, you know, hopefully maybe one day play every role and be able to do it the way that I want to do it is is such a gift. And so um, the way that they rehearsed us in, we had a big cast change here in Sydney um, because it was kind of the end of contract for a lot of the original cast members. Mm. Um, and, and I guess now it was moving on from Melbourne and going on tour for quite a while. So um, we had nine cast members come in, five of them playing cast members, four of us standbys. And so the way that we worked in the rehearsal room was I, my first character was Kevin T. And in the rehearsal room, I was Kevin T uh, for the entire rehearsal process. Uh, Other standbys were their first cover as well. And then the new playing cast were the role that they're going to play each night as well. And so then we kind of just built the show as a new company. Uh, when we needed extra bodies and we'd have uh, existing standbys would come in and fill out the other roles. Um, so we kind of just had like a full acting contingent for the whole rehearsal process. The thing that made it unique was we were, there's a wonderful rehearsal room at the Capitol um, that they've marked up and they've got all these chairs and they've got versions of the props for us to use. Uh, and we started there, but then once lockdown hit, the show got shut down, we got moved down to the stage And so we got to spend the next, I think, three weeks every day on the stage, all the actual chairs, which are so useful because having just a plastic chair with a number on it is very different to 
this wooden chair with all these ornate carvings that you have to remember. Um, So all of that, we had the revolve, we had everything except for lighting in the band. And um, we basically got to build the stage, uh, build the show on stage every day with kind of a full group of actors. And I think that has made it now, now that we've moved on to our second characters and we are working more often in the rehearsal room and with a smaller group of people, because we've, are only the standbys. Mm-hmm. It means that it's much easier for us now to pick up other characters because we've spent so much time getting used to the space, understanding how the show works with so many bodies in the area that we can kind of go, yeah, I know that Janet moves over there at this point or like Nick grabs the chair. So I understand what happens. This is much easier for me to kind of, you know, churn through the, the next few. Yeah, I think it's so good that you, because, you know, so often for, um, obviously every show is different, but so often for understudies, standbys, swings, it's more, especially I feel like if you're on from the beginning of a contract, you're more so watching the main cast do it, you're like taking notes, and then Mm. you'll get the occasion to do it, whereas getting to jump in and kind of do the full show as you're kind of the main character that you stand by would be just such a great experience to really get it in your body without having that thing of, oh, this is the person that actually does it most nights Mm -hmm. without feeling like you have to be that person. And obviously that addition of them giving you that freedom is so good because it does often feel as um, any of those roles or as an understudy that you just need to go on and, be you know what the main person that plays that role does and have the same emotions and reactions that they do Mm. so it's nice to be able to make it your own and in a way I think with that process yeah being able to be on the floor as the actor because you're not watching the other person do it every day it made it a lot easier to create your own version of the role rather than Mm. because I think when you watch someone else and take notes you still are always going to bring your own self to a role in some way you can't imitate someone perfectly nor nor would you want to but it's it's a lot harder because you kind of are playing that mental game of like oh I like that choice that they did oh but I don't want to copy it oh but uh at least this way it was kind of a natural uh thing of like this is my Kevin T and then it was such a gift then to to watch Doug do it again um and I'd seen him already twice before because I'd seen the show and loved his portrayal (laughs) But it was good to see him again and be like, oh, wow. Oh, I didn't realize like we do this bit quite differently just because of who we are. I love that choice that you make. Oh, it's so refreshing to see someone else do it without um, there being that pressure of having to watch them and to, to copy or anything like that. Yeah. yeah, and to have that individuality is incredible. And that, you know, when people go and see the show, they're going to see a different show. Mm. You know, if they have a standby, it's going to be a great interpretation of that person's interpretation of that role, mm. which is so exciting. Now I'm like, ooh, I want to go watch <laughs> it again. <laughs> I actually think I might have seen you um, in the one of the first... Did you do any of the preview performances in Sydney? In fact, no, but we did have some standbys on um, because uh, we had a lot of uh, issues with people trying to get back across the border to Sydney from Melbourne. So it was a lot of that. So I think there was there was several instances where we had different standbys on, which I mean, from what I've always heard is and it's the same in any show I've done when you have 
swings or understudies on, it's a fresh show. Yeah. Because everyone is kind of, you know, kind of, you have to be very alert and you have to really be listening. I mean, I think, again, in this show, everyone does such a great job of bringing a fresh show every night because it's Mm. so acting forward. Um, But, yeah, having a standby, I think, can kind of, it just gives that extra little, like, twinge of electricity for everyone. Yeah, it was definitely really lovely to see. Um, obviously, there were also were also just some new cast members since I had seen it in Melbourne. Mm. Um, but it is, it's so, it's fresh, it's different. And there's just like, you know, lines where you go, oh, that was a bit different. Mm. Oh, I like that. Like, I mean, especially when you've seen the show five times. It- yes. Yeah. <laughs> she yes. back to front at this point. <laughs> so obviously, it's different for every production for every company for every show but what are some misconceptions you think that people have about standbys swings and understudies i think uh i mean the i think the most common thing i've heard uh and something i used to think myself growing up was like if you didn't get the lead role then you might be offered the understudy position and so there's i think a common misconception that an understudy is kind of the person that wasn't quite good enough for the role might have missed yeah. out, but they were thrown a bone and offered to to maybe be on sometimes. Um, and I think the that's kind of the myth of it. And I think the truth of it is that being a, a swing and understudy or a standby is a very specific, uh, it's a very specific job and there's a specific set of skills. Mm. Um, to quote Liam Neeson in Taken, a specific set of skills. I don't know, I've never seen it, but the <laughs> meme just went in my mind just then. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, it's, I think, in a way, it is, and I've talked to some people that work in casting or they might be a director, and and the way that it would work is sometimes you see an actor um, in an audition and you go, they just are this character. Like, they perfectly encapsulate this character. For me, their energy, like, I see them as that. That mm. works. And so that person would be the logical pick to be playing that role every night because they are exactly the energy that maybe the casting team thought of when they created the role. Whereas other actors who come into a room might play that role wonderfully. They, they might play it as well, or, you know, it doesn't matter about, it's all very subjective anyway, but they might showcase a versatility where well, they played that role really well, but they also kind of, their energy also really suits this other one. And we need somebody to be able to cover a selection of different roles and so in a way that person becomes better suited in this kind of team that is the the acting cohort of a company, they're better suited or their skills are better suited to using that versatility, um, using that kind of, yeah, malleable, malleability. I can't speak <laughs> anymore, but, um, you know, being malleable enough that they could play different roles. And I think mm. that's where that comes in. Same thing with swings. Swings, I mean, the amount of dance because it's typically, I guess, more uh, dancers are going to be swings because they're covering ensemble plots, which are typically dance heavy. The amount of like skill you need to have as a dancer where you are, I guess it's beyond just raw dance skill. It's a different kind of way that your brain works where you're Mm. able to see patterns very easily. You're able to immediately flip something if it's like, well, this character does it on the other leg or this character does the whole thing, but it's reversed. You need to be able to like flick yourself immediately. Um, 
I think that's that's where it comes in for swings. It's very, and I've talked to dancers that I think are just incredible dancers and they're like, I could never be a swing. I just don't have the brain for it. It's not for me. I can do my one thing and I'm great at that. But the idea of having to do this dance sequence in a different area or I have to pass this prop off now, whereas I'm meant to do this other thing. Some people, it's just not in their skill set. And yeah, whereas for others, I've talked to people that are like, I just love being a swing. I love the unpredictability of it. I love being on regularly for someone new or maybe for two or three different people and just having to kind of problem solve on the fly. That's where it comes in for them. And I think standbys feel very much kind of, I think with the the culture that's set up in the company, it almost is the culture of as though you were an alternate, even though it's still kind of in an understudy capacity. But it is that feeling of you will go on uh, when you go on and it'll, it'll just be you doing your version of the show. The show doesn't take a hit. It doesn't suffer for it. That's never... That's never the case really in any production anyway with understudies. It's just a different show. I think another misconception that people do have, and I know that it is show specific, is that your job as an understudy or as a swing or a standby is hit your number, say your line, don't kill anyone in the process, and then that's it. Like make sure that no one knew that, a, that an understudy was on. And I think mm. in some ways that is true uh, and it does depend on what capacity you're in. Like if you're in the ensemble and someone injures themselves halfway through and then you are thrown on, you don't want the audience to, to be like something is off. You want the show to continue on as it was, save the show kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the misconception is that all all you are meant, all you're expected to do is just hit your mark, say your line. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think many um, creative teams will say to their understudies, like that's like take the pressure off yourself. This is a thing that is hard to do, jumping on, especially last moment. As long as you do that, the show is safe. But I do think as an actor, there can be a lot of joy in going, I don't just need to do that. I I have the ability to still perform. To, to showcase my work, to breathe new life into a story and to give my castmates an opportunity to, to play with someone new tonight, to yeah. get some new energy. In a way, it's kind of rather than seeing it like a, um, oh, no, that person isn't going to have that person alongside them tonight that they're used to being with, oh, I might screw up their performance. It's like, no, I get to give them a gift. Tonight I get to give them something brand new to work with that, yeah, will be really exciting. Oh, 100%. It's it's an incredible job to be at any of those roles and there's so much respect for people who are standby swings and understudies. Um, and there are misconceptions, obviously, but there is a lot of respect there still within companies for people who do those roles. Um, and obviously, it is it can be quite a hard job. Do you have any tips or tricks that you use to navigate multiple tracks? I think the biggest thing would be write down everything. Like mm. I'm someone that if I'm learning my one role, like in chess, I had my ensemble track. It was going to be, you know, the one thing I had to do. And I, I always start by writing down a lot of things. And then I find that for me, if it gets into my body, it stays in my body. And I'm the mm. kind of person that if I have one role to do, 
I I think I can go without writing down every little detail for it because I'll kind mm. of get a lot like numbers that I have to hit I'll write down but you know other things it's fine as a standby I've just learned <laughs> that like you have to you have to notate everything you have to listen to every little bit of direction you're given or every bit of detail that you need to do write it down even the act of writing it down just kind of cements it in some way yeah um and then of course you have to get up like we were so lucky to be able to do it on the floor it's not always the case and on Lazarus I was an understudy and it was much more watching and notating and so then after you've done all your notating you have to get up if you get any time on the floor even if you can steal a moment on that rehearsal floor or on that stage you have to go for it just so the note now makes sense or the um mm. the kind of direction that you've been given um because nothing kind of is better than getting it in the body like you can have a collection of numbers in your mind but they will mean nothing if you don't have kind of the if you don't know how you get there or yeah. you don't know like what thing you can line up with because you can't always stare down at the number line on a stage a hundred percent and I guess like compartmentalizing as well mm. when you have it in the body from like one character to another it's like no this is the exact track that this body <laughs> goes on now I'm in a different body <laughs> yeah and I did find that out as I said in the uh in our tech put in for Oz my second character like oh moments where I wanted to say Kevin T's lines or like little bits <laughs> it was better than I thought but still it's uh yeah you really have to kind of separate it in your mind I work with I now work off a tablet I used to be very much a hard copy guy Mm -hmm. but for a show like this I'm tackling five different scripts five different scores I don't want to kill that many trees and I've found that having like a different script for each character so I'm not like trying to navigate between like all my different highlighting if it's just this is their script this is their score I find it a lot easier for myself to then yeah compartmentalize and go this is just Kevin T and and you kind of get aware of what others do you do that throughout any in any role you do you kind of start to know what other people do in the show because you just Mm -hmm. get used to it every night but to be able to actually separate them as well is so important so that you don't end up delivering a monologue an impassioned speech as the wrong character Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> good afternoon. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and obviously, you have had a fantastic career so far, and you will, I'm sure, continue to have an absolutely fantastic career. But what advice would you give to actors training about finding their place in the industry? I think, I mean, the biggest thing, and I know everyone says this, but it is always worth knowing that training never stops. You might it might change and it has changed for me a lot um, since leaving uni uh, but training never stops and that doesn't necessarily mean going to an, an institution that specializes in theater or film or whatever you want to do it means working actively to keep yourself uh, or, or kind of bettering yourself in a way that you can um, and I think in a way you find a lot of what you want to do and where you sit through training because that way you can find what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? Which is kind of the most important thing. Hmm. Um, And then, you know, how can I show that to other people? Or what's the best way to? I also found auditions were for me a great way to also train, to get better at it. Because auditioning is is a skill and it's like Hmm. 90% of the job is 
auditioning and then 10% is the holiday where you get to do the show. Yeah. um, (laughs) I found that that first year out of uni, I was going to auditions, trying my best, getting rejected, feeling sad, getting over it, going to another audition. And that kind of process, I felt like my, uh, my confidence in performing kind of went up a lot quicker and my skill set improved drastically just through auditioning because I went into that year with the mentality of it's my first year out of uni or it's my first year, if I hadn't gone to uni, it's my first year trying to get into this industry. Um, and, and you know, that, that first year could have taken three years and that would have been fine. It's just this is me trying to get into the industry. So I'm not expecting to land a leading role. I would love to and I'm going to try my best to because if it's the right one, I, I feel like I could be ready. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to any bit of advice, <clears throat> any bit of advice or any bit of feedback I get from a casting director. I'm going to, uh, you know, show up on time. I'm going to try my best to give a good impression, to show people that I am passionate and that I'm ready to learn and work. Mm-hmm. And using the auditions as just kind of reframing it as training was a great way for me to then eventually find my way into a professional production. Cause there was, there were many things that I thought I would be perfect for. And then, you know, was bitterly disappointed when it didn't happen. And then in hindsight was able to realize that, you know, I, I'm not ready for that show yet, maybe one day, mm. but that experience gave me the skill to then eventually book this show, which I finally got mm. or this other one. I mean, Come From Away was is a, is a perfect example. It was something that I auditioned for in late 2018 and I was so excited for it, was on hold for a long time, was like, I reckon this is the gig. This show, I'd never seen it, but the script seemed great and the songs were cool. And I was like, I'm sure this will be great. I really want this. And then I was heartbroken when it didn't come through. And I remember going, no, nope, I'm going to be in the show. I'm going to do this show one day. I'm going to keep myself going and I'm going to to better my skills to the point where I or uh, until I can find the role or the position in this show that is right for me Mm. and so then yeah it was great coming back and in a way having positive audition experiences with them years later meant that when I came back in the room we knew each other there was some mutual respect and some level of well we haven't seen you in like a year and a half we'd love to see what you can bring to us now Mm. and yeah luckily enough this time it hit so that's the other thing for all like new people getting into it it's sometimes you've just got to accept that this might not be the moment but in a year in two years in five years ten years that might be the time where that same director or that same creative team goes yes oh we're so glad you're here we've needed you and we've been waiting for the moment for you to come this is the moment that you belong in this show so bide your time keep working hard yeah practice makes perfect in a way yeah and failing is like the best like mistakes yes oh that was like my uni mentality the amount of mistakes i made (laughs) the amount of dodgy performances like many of my friends from my year will point to many of my very colorful performances uh when i talk about the times i bombed on stage but again that's all it's all great stuff to have like you want to learn from the failures we want to enjoy them and relish them because it's kind of great you do you do take a lot away from them 
take risks when you can. Yeah. Sometimes they pay off, sometimes they don't. But, exactly. you know, you got to be able to laugh at yourself and go, well, that didn't work, but, you know, <laughs> next time it will. That's it. <laughs> and, I mean, it's always better during training than in, like, in front of an audience of 1,500 people or so. so. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of these incredible answers to these questions. It was so great. Like, there's so much more that we could talk about with you. So much more. But um, thank you so much for everything that you have let us in on. And I'm sure everyone has got some really great insight into the workings of standbys and also the show. But before we go, we're going to do a bit of a bedtime story. So a bedtime story is a stage mishap, anything that has happened on stage. could be funny. It could be literally anything. Have you got one for us? Um, I mean, I've got many a horror story uh, from my time <laughs> on stage, but I guess one that I'd point to, it was actually two successive nights, but... It was during West Side Story. We were doing it here on the on the harbour. So it was on this outside barge, like on the water, on this intense rape stage. It was wild. Um, like it would rain during dance at the gym, like if it was just happening to be raining. Like it was all out in the elements. Yeah. And we had Sydney Harbour behind us. So I'm going to give spoilers for West Side Story coming up. Just as a disclaimer. But, Has it um, been out for years? I know, but just in case you haven't seen it and you wanted the, the new movie to be the first uh, in, ah, spoilers true. ahead. But uh, basically at the end of the show, uh, all of us ensemble, we're down, I guess, under the barge waiting to go up. And Tony is freaking out. Um, he thinks that Maria is dead. He's calling for Chino to kill him. It's very emotional. Chino kills him and he dies in Maria's arms. And then we all come out and we stand there while... Um, while kind of Maria is grieving for him and then kind of processing that grief. And it's a big emotional sequence. It's very sparse. It's very silent. And it's, you know, it's harrowing. And anyway, we're downstairs and we can hear um, Al Lewis, who was playing Tony, he's yelling out for Chino. And we can hear this party boat on the uh, on the harbour just gradually getting closer. And we're like, no, 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 no. And all of us are kind of freaking out. And we can hear him. He's yelling for Chino. Chino shoots him. He's there. He's dying on stage. And all we can hear is... And we're like, yeah! And so then we all have to, like, run up on stage at the moment and we see this dead body. But, like, it is a club going on, like, right next to us. I think they were just curious. They were like, what's going on over here? And we're like... And then I bet they're yelling and they're like, woo, hey! And so, like, we're there trying our best to stay in character. I I had, like, a partner throughout the show, so her and I were always kind of together, like us two sharks, and so I just start crying into her, which was just me laughing, and I could feel her just being like, oh, screw you, and I'm, like, pretending that I'm crying. And uh, anyway, it was horrific. It went on until the end of the show, and we're just like, oh. oh. And then the next night, my parents come to the show, and I'm so excited because um, I'm like, they're going to love it. My mum is going to be a mess at the end because I know mum. And I'm like, no party boats, please no party boats. And there was no party boat. But oh. Tony, once again, Tony is yelling out for Chino and on the other side of the harbour, but not far enough away to be quiet, there was a fireworks display that just spontaneously oh. started. And he's calling out, and we're watching from the back of the barge just all these fireworks. And we're like, oh, this is not, not the, time. the time. And we're like, you know what? 
this is a bit of a sequence. Hopefully by the time he dies and we come out on stage, it will end. They got worse. They got bigger. These like screaming fireworks that were like started going by the time we're all on stage. Kiara, my partner, this time she just buries her face in me and starts laughing. And I was like, oh, and we're all just there like shaking on stage, trying our best to, I don't know, be in the moment. And like, they just got bigger and bigger. And I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that when I got offered the gig, it said in the contract that there would be fireworks in the show. And my friend and I were always joking about where could they possibly put fireworks. And it was it, it was at the end of America. It was very apt. It was very extra. But I was like, they actually did it. They put them at the end of the show. It finally happened. <laughs> the most <laughs> ill-fitting end to this musical. And it was so wild. A happy ending. A happy That's ending. it, you know? <laughs> Just as Tony's dying. As he's Fireworks. Dying. Woo! Oh. Party. It was horrific. But it was so funny. And my parents, they were just like, oh, my God, what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, that I think mum had dry eyes by the end of the show as well. And I was like, yeah. oh, damn it. <laughs> but it's like good experience as well of like theatre. Shit happens. Yeah. And you just got to go with it and be like, cool, this is mm-hmm. happening. What can you do? <laughs> you know, just fireworks as people are dying. But Exactly. That was an amazing bedtime story and you've been an absolutely phenomenal guest. Thank you so, so much for being here. You guys, if you want to know more about Kaya and follow more of his journey, you can follow him on Instagram at KayaBurn. Same as will be in the description down below. And also, don't forget to buy tickets for Come From Away, which is literally just comefromaway.com.au. They are in Sydney until the 9th of January and then we'll be heading to Canberra. Fun, fun. We've been extended. We are here till the 30th of January now. So even more time. Oh, incredible. But thank you so, so much again for being here, guys. Make sure you go and check out Come For Away. But thank you so much, Kaya. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Until next time, you guys. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. And we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.